Everybody turn in your Bible to Judges chapter 7. And I want to teach you a message today about passion. It's a message about passion. Judges chapter 7. And I want to tell you about a man named Gideon that we talked about last week. Because I believe that Gideon stands as an example to all of us that one person with passion can change an entire nation. Now, some of you didn't think that applied to you. You think I'm, I'm speaking about somebody else, somebody else that looks more Gideon-like. Somebody that has the, the qualifications to, to be a Gideon. Do you realize that in order to change the world, you really don't have to be the smartest person? You don't have to be the most talented person. You don't have to have the best upbringing. You know what it takes to change a nation, to change the world? The world is led, hear me well, the, the world is led by the people with the most passion for something. If you look at how the world changes and what it's changing to and from, you will find that the people who are leading the change in the nation and in the world are the people who are the most passionate about something. Passion changes things. It is the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ who was passionate about His Father's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven, who came here and gave His life and one man forever has changed the world to make it possible for all of us to enter heaven and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, isn't that good? That's the one man, but you say, but that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus, Kevin. And neither am I. But you can be a Gideon. You can be a person who stewards their passion well. And if I can speak to our community issue for just a moment, for those of you who are lived under a rock all last week and didn't come out, you will know that because of all of the different violence and shooting and all, that we actually had helicopters flying around the city. And as grateful as I am for our law enforcement to be taking steps to keep us protected, I looked at Brantley that night and I said, it feels like we're in a police state. It, it feels like we're in some weird country where it's necessary that you have to fly helicopters over top in order to keep our people safe. I said, something has to change, right? Something... Something has to change, and I will tell you that it is not the evil that we have to look to, because evil's always been present. Do you realize that the evil in the world is irrelevant? It is the passionate people that are relevant. And when passionate people do nothing, helicopters fly over your head. And people get killed when they're not supposed to. Because you see, what the enemy is after is this. He is after stealing the harvest of a people, of a country, and over every person who breathes. The enemy is after stealing the harvest. Do you realize that? I don't think it was as clear to me as it was when I read through Judges. I'll have to back you up to six. But the problem Israel is in is that they can plant, but they can't harvest. They can sow all they want. The enemy doesn't care that they sow the wheat and the barley. But what happens is when it's time 
to harvest the wheat in the barley, the enemy comes in and destroys. And you'll see that in Judges chapter 6. It says, so they would camp against him and destroy the produce of the earth and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. And when I looked at that, I said, that's the enemy's agenda. The enemy is trying to steal the harvest of the people of God. You see, that's what happens when death comes. Because when a person is killed, you don't know what life would have lived, what life they would have lived if they had carried out their destiny. You see, you no longer get to know what that person would have done if they had given their life to the Lord, if they had followed Him. You'll never know. Why? Because someone came in and stole the harvest. That's why you can't tolerate sickness. And we can't say that that's of God. Because everywhere I look in the Bible, Jesus just messed up everything that was sick and made it well. Do you know that He wrecked every, every burial that He ever went to? Just turned it up on its head. Why? Because He's saying you should not tolerate sickness and death. Now, are we all going to die? Yes, we are. But should we tolerate it? No, because our prayer is here on earth as it is in heaven. And I assure you there is no sickness in heaven. But what you tolerate will dominate. Can I say that one more time? What you tolerate will dominate. So if we tolerate our young people killing each other, that will dominate. If you tolerate people being sick, that'll dominate. If you tolerate people never growing up and, and being allowed to, to become the person they're supposed to be, that people never step into their calling and their destiny in life, if you tolerate that, then a poverty mindset, and a mindset, I don't know what to call it, but it sounds something like this, you can't get there from here. You ever heard that? You ever met somebody like that? Their mindset is, I can't be what I want to be. I can't do what I want to do. There's too many obstacles in my path for that. If we, as a group of Christians, let's just talk about the house of God right now. Okay? Because darkness has never been the issue. It's hiding light that's been an issue. If the people of God tolerate that in a community, it will dominate. So what I'm telling you is, as Christians, we have to steward the passion that is in our heart. It's Father's Day. It seems like men, can I, can, I, can I get an amen if this sounds right when I say it? It sounds like today, men, we can be passionate about everything, but we're not allowed to be passionate about God. Do you feel that way? It feels like as a man living today that we're allowed to be passionate about anything and everything. Just don't be passionate about God. That's not manly. Can I tell you that's the exact kind of men we need? Yeah, women too, by the way. It is not exclusive to gender. <laughs> yeah. We, we have to get out of this mindset that tells us either consciously or subconsciously, because sometimes nobody's saying it out loud. It's just what you hear inside of you that says, oh, don't get excited about God. People think you're crazy. People, people think you're weird. People think you're a fanatic. You know, 
Well, I done figured that most people are going to think I'm a fool anyway. So I'm about deciding what I'm going to live my life to be foolish for. And I've made a decision that I want to be Gideon-like foolish. That I'm going to be passionate about God. And I'm going to be passionate about setting His people free. And nobody's going to tell me that as a man I can't be passionate about God. Yeah. We need some men that will stand up and say, you don't get to tell us what we'll be passionate about. Now, let's be clear about something. I still watched the NBA Finals last week. And I had a good time doing it. My son and I, he got me back watching basketball. And, and I had a great time with him. I'm not telling you you can't watch basketball and you can't go to games and, and you can't hunt and fish and, and have hobbies. Nobody heard me say that, right? Yeah, you can have all those things. But you've got to guard your passion. Because if you're not careful, those hobbies will become the centermost passion of your life. They're like that, aren't they? Something that starts off simple and it starts off good and there's nothing wrong with it. It can become consuming. Yeah. Y'all, we just got my parents. Y'all, brace yourself. Okay, brace yourself. We just bought my parents a smartphone. They don't, they, they don't quite know what to do with it yet. But, but as, as we did that, I looked at Brantley, and Brantley looked at me, and she's like, what have we done? What have we done? Because many of you have cell phones, and you know that if you were to use that little function to tell you how long you're on your phone, how much screen time you have, you'd be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed that something that starts off as a good tool can turn into something that dominates your life. So all I'm saying is you got to guard your passion. you got to steward your passion so that the single most important thing in your life is to steward the passion of God. Now i got to get going because I've taken too much time for that. So, to know that the enemy is trying to steal the harvest of his people and to know that what is required is for a passionate group of people to stand up. I want to show you what happens when one person becomes a nation. I want you to know that what might start as just you, it's just something that's in your heart, and you're looking around and thinking, I don't know that anybody else has a heart for this. <laughs> Karen's nodding her head. Karen has a passion for helping kids with autism, and She's trying to get wheelchair swings and parks. And I know, Karen, a lot of times you feel like you a Gideon that has nobody beside you. But I want to tell you today that this message is not just for you, but it's for a lot of other people. That you feel like there's something burning in your heart and you don't think anybody else cares. And you don't think that anybody else is going to help. I'll show you in Scripture that what is one person's passion is faithfully dealt with can become a passion for, in many cases, an entire nation. So here's what happens. God calls one man, Gideon. He comes and he speaks to Gideon. And, and I ask myself, why is it that Gideon came and he just spoke to one man? He didn't speak to the entire nation. 
most of the time when we pray, we want God to move the entire nation and we want Him to move it all at one time. Do you know most of the time when God changes the nation, He goes and speaks to one person? Follow it in Scripture and see how many times when God wants to deliver His people, He comes and He doesn't speak to everybody. You know why? Because everybody ain't listening. Everybody's not listening. What God is looking for is He said, I don't need a whole bunch of people. What I need is a passionate person. Now, He'll go and get a passionate person sometimes, and they don't even know Him. He did that in Moses. He called Moses, and Moses goes, uh, Can I have your name, please? He goes to Gideon, and he calls Gideon, and Gideon says, Hold on, I'll be right back. I'm not even sure you're God, but i got to figure this out. If you're sitting there in the room, and you're like, He can't possibly be talking about me because I don't know God. Can I wear that point out with y'all? <laughs> that more often than not, God is not calling good church folk. Because a lot of times, good church folk are clouds without rain. I got that out of Scripture, so don't fuss at me. Don't, don't, don't get mad. I got that out of Proverbs 25. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of times, good church folk is clouds without rain. A lot of show, a lot of words, ain't much to it at the end of the day. God said, I'll go get somebody that's not even familiar with me. They don't even really know my name. But they got a heart that burns. Half the time it's burning for all the wrong stuff. And he said, that's okay with me. God says, it's okay. Because when I turn it, and when I turn that passion toward me, woo, they'll set the world on fire. Yeah. So he calls one man. Why? Because he says, I don't need a bunch of people. I can start with one. And He's reminding us that when revival comes, everybody doesn't have to get saved all in the same day. That's cool. Can it happen? Yes. I want to see something like that. But you know what I'll take? A handful of y'all realizing you're Gideons. And to go out and do what, I, what we see next. Gideon, after he realizes this, the call of the Lord in verse 27 of chapter... Uh, chapter wait, hold on. Let me get there. Uh, where are we? Six, seven, six, seven. Chapter six, verse twenty-seven. Chapter six, verse twenty-seven. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. Once you got a pioneer, and these are terms that you'll hear in the world today, and I'm going to use them because I see it in Scripture. Once God calls a pioneer who's willing to to blaze a path, He'll usually get some people that we'll call early adopters. Here's ten servants. Now, as I was studying over that, I said, Lord, they're servants. They couldn't say no. Because the plan is this. God says, Gideon, I need you to go tear down the idols. And I need you to build me an idol. And Gideon says, Lord, that's too much for me. i got to go get some help. So what does he do? He goes and gets his servants because he knows that those people will help him. Do you realize that even though we don't have servants today that you can just boss around and you're like, I don't have a lot of people I can boss around. (laughs) Some of you must think you're bossy or know somebody that is, so you're laughing. (laughs) Can Can I tell you that power is nothing but influence? 
You say, I don't have any power. I say, do you have any influence over anybody? Do you have some friends that when you speak, they listen? Do you have some family members that when you say something, they'll at least entertain the idea? Gideon just went and found ten people that would listen to what he had to say and followed him. And those ten men went and they tore down the aisles, the idols that were there. Can I tell you that you have more influence than you think you do? You need to quit acting like nobody will follow you. You need to quit acting like nobody will listen to what you have to say. <laughs> I found this. I didn't need anybody to follow me when I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> that caught you off guard, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, okay, let me say it again because it caught you off guard. If, you are, if you're not going anywhere, if you don't have anything positive to say or do, you don't need anybody to follow you. Right? But can I tell you that when you have said yes to the Lord, if you will start looking around, God will start turning hearts toward you. Hearts will begin to start turning toward you because people are looking for solutions in life. They want to be a part of something. They want to change things. And if they believe that somebody is moving in the right direction, they'll follow. Yeah. I got an assignment for you. You're like, oh, I didn't come to church for an assignment. You ought to ask the Lord if there's 10 people in your life that you have influence over that would, you could begin to share your passion with and to see if they might share your passion. You'd be surprised who God puts in your life that when you start sharing your passion that the people around you have similar passions. So one turns into 10 and then they've got to go fight this battle and so they blow a trumpet. They blow a shofar. A ram's horn. They blow a shofar. Why? Because in Scripture, a shofar was a symbol to the people of Israel. If you blew it one long time, it meant it was the day of the Sabbath and it was to come together. If you blew it three times in short bursts, it meant there was some good news somewhere. You better go hear it. But if you blew it nine times, it was the sign of alarm. And it said, it's time. Everybody's got to come together and fight. Yes. You got it, didn't you? <laughs> you see, what's missing in the world today is for somebody to blow the trumpet. Amen. To say Amen. that there's an alarm that needs to be sounded. That we have tolerated for far too long the things that are taking over our community. And somebody needs to sound an alarm and say, we've got to gather and we've got to do something. It's time to fight. And so Gideon blows this trumpet. And look at how many people show up. Over in chapter 8. Sorry, chapter 7. I'm having trouble with my chapters today. Chapter 7, it says, so, so there were uh, 32,000 people that showed up. The county of Chester has like 32,000 people. Isn't that cute? Doesn't that work out great for a message? 32,000 people showed up. And God said, that's, that's too many people, Gideon. And Gideon says, but God, I'm fighting an army that's as vast as the sea, the sand of the sea. And God says, yeah, but I, I can't work with that many people. So ask the ones who are afraid to go home. And it said that uh, 
<laughs> that of that, 22 people left and went home. Mm. 10,000 people remained, and Gideon went, oh my. And Gideon said to him, Gideon is still too many people. And by the time he was done, God had whittled that thing down to 300 people. There are times in your life when you are looking around for help and you don't think you've got enough people. And then you start something and half the people you think are going to help you, they turn and go back to their own lives and do their own thing. Can I tell you that if you're prepared to be a Gideon, you have to be prepared for some of the people that you thought would be with you aren't going to be with you. Some of the people that you thought would be with you to the very end they're going to go home. And I believe actually the mindset that we have to have as Christians is not everybody who starts with me will finish with me. You need to have that in your mind so that when somebody wants to go home, you can let them and not be mad at them. That's a good word. You're going to need that one day. Because somebody's going to leave you and it's going to make you mad. And you're going to contemplate getting mad and bitter and upset over them and maybe even trying to do something spiteful. Can I tell you, just let them go. Let them go. Because they didn't have the heart for what you were doing anyway. So had you made them stay, it would have worked against you. So let them go. They got down to 300. Now here's the assignment when the 300 came together. Gideon looks at them and he says this. He says, okay, I'm going to give you guys three things. I need Rodney as a help. Rodney, come up here. You're my, one of my 300. I'm Gideon right now, okay? Y'all are part of the 300. I'm just demonstrating the weapons of your warfare right now, okay? So he says, of you 300, all of you need a trumpet, All of you need a pitcher, a jar. That's kind of heavy. Got it? It's kind of heavy. Yeah. <laughs> every, every one of you needs a jar, and every one of you needs a torch to hide in the jar. We're going to go out and fight the Midians. <laughs> they got camels they got swords they're a real army you got a horn a jar and a torch now you see why you had to get it down to 300 because most people got enough sense to know <laughs> That 32,000 or whatever, they were smart enough to know that you don't go fight with a horn, a pitcher, and a torch. <laughs> so here's what God says. He says, Gideon, tell them this. He said, we're going to divide you up into three companies. So now three is turned into a hundred. It gets worse before it gets better, doesn't it? He says, what I want you to do is this. When I... He says, when I and all who are with you blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpet all around the camp. You're supposed to break the clay jar. You're supposed to wave the torch. 
and scream for the Lord and Gideon. Can I just tell you that the solutions that God has for changing the world, most people look at them and think they're crazy. God's plan for redeeming all of mankind was to give His Son Jesus Christ on a cross to die. Nobody saw that coming. But because of Him, everybody who chooses Him, believes in Him, has the right to become a child of God. Can I tell you that most solutions, people are trying to think of what everybody else has already done. They're trying to do what everybody's already done. And what God is saying is, I have a solution, and nobody's ever seen it before, because nobody has taken the time to ask me, God, how do you want to do it? And then have the faith to hear what He says. i got to tell you, if God told me that, I'd have went, I'm at least need a sword. <laughs> right? So real quick, I need to, before I move on, so we've gone from 1 to 10 to 300. I need to tell you about these right now because these are actually the weapons that you have. These are the weapons that you have. So the first one is this. Can we do this without breaking? Okay. The first one is this trumpet of the Lord, which is that you have to sound an alarm. You've got to get people's attention. That there are times that you will have to get people's attention and let them know that there is a, per there is a problem and they can be part of the solution. Yeah. Because most people are like Gideon. They're out there trying to beat out a living. They're not even looking for a solution. They don't even believe it's possible. So you've got to sound an alarm. The next thing is this. This, this clay pitcher, that's you. <laughs> now let me explain that to you. In the, this day... You put good stuff in good containers. So if you had oil and you had fragrance and you had perfume, you put it in the nicest of vessels. It was true that you could judge a book by its cover. But I just called you a clay pot. Do you know what they used clay pots for? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Clay pots were for everyday work. You used clay pots to go get water. And so they held water. They held waste from the family home. They also held bodily waste. So why are we considered a clay vessel? <laughs> Follow me over. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Does anybody know where I'm going? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. You see what God is saying is, He said, I want to take ordinary people. I want to take people that nobody would suspect. Because if the smart people lead, people will say they led because they were smart. If the powerful people lead, they'll say they won because they were stronger than everybody else. If the rich people did it, they'll say that they had more money than everybody else. But when they see a clay pot start revival, they look at that and they go, I don't know how he did it. And Rodney says, I'm glad you asked. Because it wasn't about me, 
It's always been about the fire that lives in me. <laughs> we could quit and go home there. That's really all you need to know today. If you lose anything else, it's not about you. It's about the fire that lives in you. And it is people who are not just passionate for passionate sake, but are passionate about God and they don't, they don't worry about their own lives. It says in Revelations that they did not treat their lives as though it was important. They were willing to give their lives. They were willing to break the jar. Real quick. Is that heavy? Good. Okay. I debated about breaking this thing, but I don't know who gave it to me, so I can't break it. Okay? But something interesting did happen to me this past week. Brantley was cleaning out closets, and there was this piece of glass that used to go over a desk that we once had. And being the pack rat that I am, I couldn't do away with the glass. So for like the past eight years, the glass has set in the closet. So I've decided it's time to get rid of the glass, but y'all know glass is dangerous. Some of you who will know, I thought it was plate glass. So with plate glass, I was going to take it outside. Kate and I were going to drop it. It was going to break into a few pieces. Kate and I were going to throw it away. I take it outside. I drop it. Nothing happens. Kate looks at me. I looked at him and I went, hmm. Okay, that wasn't supposed to happen. I pick it up again. There was a root. And I said, oh, I'll break it over that root. That'll break it. I take it. I drop it. Nothing. I said, okay. I said, Kate, you know how we are, guys, right? When a, when a man says, stand back. <laughs> Do all you can to stop it. Okay? That's why you've seen it. That's why we have a lower life expectancy than women. Okay? So I said, Caden, stand back. I grab the glass up like this. And I throw it. And y'all, it's not plate glass. It's tempered glass. I don't know if any of y'all know the difference. But tempered glass is meant to break in a million different pieces so nobody gets hurt. It broke into two million pieces. And Kate and I looked at each other and he looked at me and he's like, oh, you in trouble? And I, we raked glass, we swept glass, we did all kinds of things. Finally, you had to get a woman involved who had some intelligence. Family said, why don't you get your shop back out? I went, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. That is why men and women are meant to be together. But I tell you that to say this. As clay vessels, one of the hardest things for us is to allow ourselves to be broken. We don't want to be broken. We want to be intact. But God says, I, I, I can't let you be intact because when you're intact, the light's hid. I don't, can't see it as well. When Gideon broke the container all at once, what happens is these torches, they would, they would just smolder. And so that would hide the light. And God is saying, you are hiding the light right now because you are more concerned about you 
than the fire that lives in you. But if, if you will get to the place where you care less about you and more about me, then there'll be a time of breaking. Some people, it happens all at once. Somebody threw you and you broke. There are times where you didn't get broken all at one time. You got broken over a very long period of time. But can I tell you that the thing is, when we are broken, we think that, that, that that's it. That we're unusable at that point. Can I tell you that's your most beautiful state? That's when you're most beautiful. Now hear me well. That thing that broke you is not beautiful. And we'll never call it that. It was not beautiful. Those things that broke you in life, they are not beautiful. But when Caden and I looked at that after the initial shot, he looked at me and he said, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I said, it really is kind of cool. Do you know that I have looked at people and they have been broken? And they actually gave their lives as an offering to be broken. And when I look at their lives, do you know what I see? <laughs> I see the most beautiful people in all the world. It's the broken people that are the most beautiful. Because they shouldn't be there, but they are. You shouldn't have lived, but you did. You shouldn't have a smile on your face, but you still do. You shouldn't have succeeded, but you did. And so God is saying that you're the most beautiful when you're the most broken. Because then people who are just like you look at you and go, I can't identify with the pretty vase. I can't, I can't identify with the alabaster vase. I can't identify with the smart person, the rich person, the strong person. But I can identify with the broken person. <laughs> can I tell you that there are some of you that you've not let your light shine because you thought if you broke that you'd be undone. But can I tell you just one last time that if you allow God to break you, that the fire and the light of God will shine forth in your life. Thank you, Ron. One quick thing as, you, as we go. I need to wrap it up with this because you need to know this. When, when that passion, when that jar is broken and that light shines, then people are going to begin to come to you. When Gideon fought that battle and those jars had been broken and they had put themselves out there, then all of a sudden, all of the northern tribes came to them and they decided that they were going to fight too. That's the place where this thing picks up momentum. It's that one became ten, that became three hundred, and now because somebody, the majority of the people have looked and they said, you know what? They're winning. They're winning. They'll say, I'm going to go fight now too. That's the critical mass. That's what happens when revival really begins to pick up steam is that the majority looked at the minority and said, they're winning. Hmm, if they can win, I'll fight too. That's what we're going after. But you need to know about this group of people too. There are some laggards. There's some laggards. Do you know what that means? People that lag behind. There's some laggards. He went and he asked a group of people at Succoth, he said, can I have some food because we're getting hungry and we need to keep fighting. And these people at Succoth, they were laggards and they said, well, have you defeated the Midianites yet? You know what they're asking, don't you? 
They said, we're waiting to pick sides until we know who's going to win. So we ain't going to help you until we're sure that you're going to win. There are going to be people in your life who are going to sit back and wait and watch and see if you win or not. And they're not going to get in. But as soon as you become a winner, then they're going to want to jump in. <laughs> they, they went and there was a group of people and, and they came from Ephraim and it says they got in touch with Gideon and they said, why didn't you call us? We'd have come and helped you fight. Don't you love friends like that? Yeah. Don't you love those kind of friends? You were going through hell. You were going through it. And you couldn't find a friend. But then all of a sudden, you broke through and you started finding victory in your life. And now all of a sudden, your friends come and say, I don't know why you didn't call me. <laughs> and don't forget about the ones who are going to try and work against you. That, that sometimes there are people, and regardless of what you do, they are going to work against you. And can I just remind you that if I could go to all the people who have ever worked against me and doubted me, if I could ever say anything to them, I would go up to them and say this. Thank you. I appreciate you more than you know. Because my friends... They were with me from the beginning. But it was my enemies that kept me honest. It was my enemies that kept me on my knees. Kept me pursuing God. So I will tell you that you will never do anything significant in life unless you have probably run into those three. Those who when it's all said and done come up to you and say, I don't know why you didn't call me. <laughs> don't get mad at them. There'll be those that said, I need to wait just a little bit and see who's going to win. And then I'm going to pick sides with the winner. And then there are those who are just simply going to resist you. And I will tell you this, that I believe God's will for us is to make room for all of those people to come back when the time is right. Gideon makes room for a lot of them. That group at Succoth, he comes back and it says he beat them with thorns. <laughs> we need to pass that thing. You have to pass all the Old Testament stories through the grace of God. Do not go get thorns and beat your enemies. Please don't go preach that message out there and say that you heard that from Ember. Okay? Here is actually what I believe. That grace makes a way for the enemies to come home. You might not want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you a verse that a lot of us try to ignore. When asked what are we supposed to do with our enemies, Jesus said love them. He said love them. He changes. See, when that thing moves through the cross, we don't beat our enemies with thorns anymore and with briars and with switches. What do we do? We love them. And we embrace them. And we welcome them back. Do you know why? Most people don't even know why. They heard that they're supposed to love their enemies. They don't even know why they're supposed to love your enemies. Have you ever wondered why God said love your enemies? <laughs> because if you simply defeat your enemies, you better be sure you got them all. Because if not, the ones that are left will come back and get you. 
But if you turn your enemy into a friend, they will never hurt you again. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that friends can't hurt each other, but you get, you get what God is after, right? He says the greatest victory of all is not when you get back at your enemies. It's when you turn your enemies into a friend. Because now the person who was against you is now actually for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I need somebody in the room. Somebody in the room needed to hear that, okay? You, you, sometimes you just feel how the Holy Spirit settles on something, and it's like you go, hmm. I want you to go, hmm. And see if there's an enemy. If there's a person who left you. If there's a, a person who, who wasn't for you. That you would tend to treat them like an enemy. And if God is saying, you know what, they need you. And they need you to be the one that will bring them back. 